announcements. Uh, today we're going to be doing communion, um, and if you're new here or you've never done that with us, um, we're going to have like a symbolic communion during the worship set, and then after that, um, everyone's invited to come downstairs and eat a meal with us. That's what the early church did. Communion was a, a, a community meal. That's why it's called communion, right? We're all Christians. Uh, maybe not all of us, but you know what I'm saying. It's cool. If you're not here, this is a safe place. We love you, and we're glad you're here, and I mean that. Um, but yeah, we always forget that community meal, communion. I think that's funny. We don't know why we call things what we call them. Uh, anyway, so there's that. And then tomorrow, um, Allie and AJ, I know that's AJ right there. Allie's in the back. They are doing an Advent Conspiracy Bible Study. So if you're feeling real Christmassy, uh, go to their house. They're at 2112 8th Street um, at 5.30 p.m. tomorrow. And they eat some food and they do a Bible study together. Um, so, again, see either one of them or anyone you see on stage if you're interested in doing that. Um, and I'm kind of excited about this. Starting in January, um, we got, we're kind of redoing some stuff, kind of like a reset, revamp kind of thing here at Rev. We're going to have um, three or four new small groups for you. These are all kind of to, like, to be announced because we don't have slides yet. Um, we're still hammering out the details. We're going to have some new small groups starting in January. Um, we're going to have a gamer night. Any, we got any nerds in here? There are more nerds in here than that. I personally know some of you guys. But yeah, it's going to be cool. Uh, Chief nerd Corey Reed in the back is the one heading that up. Corey, raise your hand. Yes, he is a gorgeous man. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be the one heading that up. So we'll be actually meeting here once a month here at the church sometime throughout the week, probably on a Friday night, um, just to meet and eat food and hang out and play games, whatever you're into. No Dungeons and Dragons because we all know that's satanic. Um, just kidding. I'm a nerd. I love Magic the Gathering and D&D and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, we'll be doing that. Um, that's all starting in January, and then we'll actually be doing a class in January um, that we're calling What We Believe, um, and that'll be led by Dustin Cooley, and he's in the back, and you'll see more of him this evening. Um, kind of like if you're uh, into theology or you don't know what that means, but you'd, you'd like to know, it's kind of like, what does the Bible teach about various subjects, and we're going to be going through that, and that'll be pretty cool. Um, I'm very excited, January, uh, a lot of reset stuff, um, and then there are also some opportunities to serve this week. Um, just throwing these out to you guys. Uh, Rev Kids, like our, uh, we, we called it the nursery a lot. We've decided that that's probably offensive to quite a few of the older kids down there. Uh, so we don't want to call it the nursery. Um, I hated having a babysitter and things like that growing up. So I, I, the, like the struggle is real for them. Uh, so if you're interested in volunteering, we can always use volunteers for the kids ministry. Um, please see my wife, Autumn. Raise your hand. This is Autumn. Um, please see her if you're interested in volunteering. Um, and then we got a couple more things. One, uh, there's always, you can always give your money if you want to serve that way. we got a Fuel the Revolution box in the back. I know a lot of people don't know where that is. We don't pass offering plates because um, we're not about shaming people that don't have as much to give or anything like that. But if you want to give, there's a back in the back where there's coffee and all that. There's a box that you can give to. And then there's also um, this Saturday, and I'm, I'm going to be there. So I, I want to see a lot of you guys there uh, if you can. This Saturday we're meeting here at the church um, at 7.45 in the morning, like between 7.45 and 8. And then we're going to be going from here down to the Blue Store or Fast Stop. I don't know if you guys know where that is. It's on 8th Street. It's like the only convenience. It's popping, always popping. Like everyone in the East End walks there. Um, and they gave us permission to set up in their lot. They're being very gracious to us. Set up in their lot and actually pass out breakfast for, and hot chocolate and stuff like that for free. Kind of get to know our community, tell them what we're about, um, pray with them, hang out with them. So please be here at the church by 8 a.m. on Saturday if you want to help serve us uh, and ser- or serve our community, not serve us. Uh, serve our community in that way. Um, so those are the announcements this evening. And uh, oh, also, if you didn't lock your cars, we are in the ghetto. Um, go outside and lock them up. Um, and then there's this. This is, this is the funnest thing this evening. 
Uh, I'm not preaching. This is why I'm doing this. I know some of you maybe don't remember what I said last week because your attention spans are awful. Um, but Dustin Cooley, the man, the myth, the legend. People call him Round SpongeBob. He has he has many nicknames. He is he's a good dude. Uh, Cooley is actually going to be taking his first crack at preaching here at Revolution this evening, and I am super excited. Uh, he's a, he's a good, godly guy, uh, very intelligent man. Um, I hope you would give him more attention than you give me uh, on a Sunday. I see you guys falling asleep and stuff. It's not cool. Um, we're not Baptists. We don't do that here. Um, so, again, Dustin's preaching. I'm very excited. Um, he's going to be continuing on in, in Luke through the ser- sermon series we've been doing. And I'm really pumped. I hope you guys are excited as I am. Uh, but that's all the announcements that we have this evening. So they're going to play some kind of hip-hop music or something. And you guys can shake each other's hands because we don't have like a piano player uh, with like an organ and stuff like that. So, yeah, go ahead, hit the music, say hi to each other. I love you guys. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what you're telling me, Jim. You're, you're pointing. It's all that it... That, is that a thumbs up? I'm blind. I can't see. What's going on, guys? All right. I think I'm supposed to do that again. What's up, Revolution? Okay. So that's the second time. So we're good on that. All right, guys. Okay. So it is finals week for those college students. Um, what? Oh, no. It's my finals week because I got to OU and you're still here, uh, Shawnee. Um, Right? So it's next week. I'm way behind. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry for that uh, false hope. Um, So I've had so much coffee, I can barely see straight. So I'm going to try to read uh, these notes. So we're going to see what happens. So I'm going to set this here so I don't spill it. Um, So um, Dave, thank you for the beautiful introduction. Now everyone knows that my nickname is Round SpongeBob. (laughs) Hi, how are you? Um... (laughs) It's really not funny. It's more sad. All right. (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right. So tonight, uh, Dave asked me a few weeks ago to preach on Luke 17, 11 through 19, which a lot of you are going to know as um, the story of the 10 lepers. So we all kind of grew up, those of us who did grow up in church, hearing the story about these guys um, as just kind of this good story about appreciation and thankfulness. And, um, and although that is true, and although that is a good thing, I don't really think that's the heart of the message that Christ was really trying to display and what Christ was really trying to show us through this story. Um, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to try to get into that a little bit and figure out exactly what it means and how we can apply this to our lives. Um, so as Dave will tell anyone, introductions are always the hardest part of writing a sermon, or anything at all, ever, for that matter. Um, but this was kind of easy for me this week, because BuzzFeed is still a thing, and they kind of like to do theology every once in a while, so they throw out these videos um, that are normally kind of portraying Christians in this really um, twisted light, or they're saying, like, who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, what does it look like to be a real Christian? Um, and it's, I, I hate this term, but it's kind of caught on, and people will understand this as this liberal view of Christianity. Um, it, it kind of undermines the things that Scripture teaches and says that um, those can't possibly mean what they say. They have to mean something else, because Christianity is all about loving people, uh, which it is. And we never want to undermine the fact that Christianity is about loving people, but it's firstly about loving God. And we do that by obeying what he says and then teaching that to other people. Um, but what these videos do is they present um, this almost self-righteous, passive-aggressive 
um, set of accusations against what we call fundamental Christianity, which to a lot of people that term will make you cringe. But if you truly believe what the Bible teaches is, is truth, then that is fundamental Christianity. But at the same time, um, it's saying that other Christians who do not agree wholeheartedly with the life choices of others and completely celebrate that with them are the bad Christians. Um, so, but there, there, are, there are two sides to this coin. I'm stumbling all over words because I've had way too much coffee today. Struggle's real. <laughs> there are two sides to this coin. So on one end, we have this almost worldly view of morality where it's um, do the right thing, be a good person, um, love others regardless of, of what they do, um, and, and, and celebrate everything that other people do. But we are called to those things, right? We are called to love people. We are called to be generous, to be kind. Um, but it, it kind of forces this sense of morality on others that, that we have to just completely agree or we're being intolerant or um, we're being these, these bad Christians. But then on the other side of this, we have um, this, this term I like to call um, like modern American churchianity which it's, it's not Christianity because it's all about biblical rule following. And I think a lot of us grew up in this same kind of you know, mindset and the same kind of worldviews that if we do not obey literally everything that the scriptures have ever said to a perfect T, then we cannot truly be a real Christian. Am I right? I mean, a lot of us grew up hearing that. So you had to wear the nicest suit and the nicest tie. And you, you certainly couldn't ever, you know... Uh, you know, say a swear word or uh, shave your head or grow a beard or wear shorts, play drums. Amen. There you go. Um, I give up. All right. Um, so one side says to agree with others on every choice they make and celebrate it, regardless of whether the scriptures call it sin or not. Because that's the loving thing to do, and that's what Christianity is all about, is love and tolerance and acceptance. That misses the mark on what Christianity truly is. Although we are called to love people, and we should never forget that fact. While the other side says to follow all of these laws and traditions or moral churchianity kind of ideas... Um, but we can never forget the fact that we are called to be holy. So it's, it's somewhere, I wouldn't necessarily say it's in the middle, but it's both, if that kind of makes sense. Um, so both sides miss the mark. Both sides are wrong. We have to acknowledge that nothing that we do ourselves is true biblical Christianity. It, it can't be us, because the scriptures teach that we've all sinned. We've all been marred by sin. We've all fallen short of God's expectations on our lives, and we are all equally condemned before God because of this. Um, so kind of what I want to do is, with that in mind, go to Luke 17 and kind of unpack this text a little bit. Um, so if you want to throw the text up on the screen, go ahead and read it. Uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV tonight. Dave normally reads out of the NLT, um, but I actually don't even think I own an NLT. So... I use the ESV. Sorry, guys. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, 
On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. So as I said before, a lot of us kind of grew up hearing that um, the nine were just kind of unthankful, and the tenth guy was thankful, and that's what saved him really, but no. And then other times we've heard that this is um, a, you know, a good verse to point to to uh, teach kids to say please and thank you and to not be unappreciative. Where I mean, I mean you should be polite. You know, don't tell people I told you not to be. Um, I need to quit. Um, that also misses the mark here. Um, so first, let's look at kind of what leprosy is. Like, we hear this term, biblical leprosy, um, but it, it, I mean, it is a true disease. It truly is something that people still, still deal with today. There's foundations um, focused on eradicating leprosy from the world, but I mean, it's, it's still around. It's been around um, since the beginning. So um, let's kind of look at some of these facts about leprosy. So leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease. So when we hear um, about biblical leprosy, this is kind of um, what it goes by now. It goes by Hansen's disease. It's not actually as highly contagious as people think. Um, a lot of people will assume that like, if you're in the same room as someone with leprosy, that you uh, are immediately going to catch it. But it, it's not that. Um, it is transmis- or transmitted through droplets, so things like... Um, contact with body fluid and coughing, sneezing, things like that. Um, But the incubation period for leprosy uh, is actually a really long time. So if you get the disease, you don't immediately know you have it, and you're not immediately going to break out into sores. Um, Sometimes symptoms don't start within the first five years, and sometimes it can go up to 20 um, before these actual signs and symptoms start manifesting themselves. Um, so we're going to throw up a, just kind of a list of the symptoms and what this looks like um, for you guys. And these are some facts that I found while kind of doing some research on the disease, um, reading what foundations had to say about it and the problems that it caused for people. Um, it says early signs include spots on the skin that may be slightly red, darker, or lighter than normal skin. The spots may also become numb and have lost hair. Often they appear on the arms, legs, or back. Sometimes the only sign may be numbness in a finger or a toe. If left untreated, hands can become numb and small muscles are paralyzed, leading to curling of the fingers and thumb. When leprosy attacks nerves in the legs, it interrupts communication of sensations in the feet. The feet can be damaged by unattended wounds and infection. If the facial nerve is affected, a person loses the blinking reflex of the eye, which can eventually lead to dryness, ulceration, and blindness. Bacteria entering the mucus lining of the nose can lead to internal damage and scarring, which in time causes the nose to collapse. Untreated, leprosy can cause deformity, crippling, and blindness. The bacteria attack nerve endings and destroy the body's ability to feel pain and injury. 
Without pain feeling, people injure themselves, and injuries can become infected, resulting in tissue loss. Fingers and bones become shortened and deformed as the cartilage is absorbed into the body. Repeated injury and infection of numb areas in the fingers and toes can cause the bones to shorten, the tissues around them to shrink, making them short. Um, and leprosy can also destroy vocal cords, giving um, the victim a, a harsh, raspy voice, um, making it difficult to hear and difficult to understand. Um, so a lot of people think like leprosy is just this disease where you get these, these sores on your skin and um, they just get bigger and um, you know the ulcers kind of deform the person and become horribly infected, which is true, but it does so much more to the person. Um, you lose feeling in your, in your fingers and toes, and these injuries, you don't realize you have them. You, you don't realize that, you know, you've stepped on broken glass or, you know, you've cut your finger off or um, marred your body in some terrible way. Um, but for people in biblical times, leprosy carried a much greater curse than just all of this it caused isolation from the community. Um, There were Levitical laws regarding leprosy um, and what to do if someone was suspected of leprosy and if somebody um, was confirmed to have leprosy, the the things that the nation of Israel had to do um, to keep that disease from spreading. Um, So in Leviticus 13, um, there are commands described from God regarding leprosy. Suspected cases of leprosy were sent to the priests and were shut away for 14 days until the suspicion of leprosy could be either confirmed or denied. So they were sent and locked away in the temple for seven days, or in an area off to the temple for seven days. And then the priest would come in and inspect them again, inspect the wounds or the spots or wherever the leprosy was expected to be. And then they would be shut away for another seven days. And the priest would come back again and find out, okay, has it spread um, before it could either be confirmed or denied? And if it was confirmed... Uh, Leviticus thirteen forty five and 46 say, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside of the camp. So we see they, they couldn't even associate with with their community, with the people inside of the village, with their family, with their friends. They were outcast, sent away. And if, if they were to come onto somebody in the road, um, they would have to cover their mouth and cry out that they were unclean and that person not to approach them. Um, because this is how serious this disease was taken. Now, they also viewed it as, as something differently as well. Um, Numbers 12, and I'm going to flip there real quick because I use a paper Bible, because I hate the one on my phone. Um, So Numbers 12 kind of um, details how um, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people viewed leprosy, um, not so much like in the fact that it was a curse from God, but this is how the scriptures portrayed it. Um, So Numbers 12 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married this woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. 
which is kind of scary if the Lord hears it, which, I mean, he's going to anyway because he's God everywhere all the time. Absolutely. Um, and they're, they're basically condemning Moses because of this thing that he had done. Now, moving on through this chapter, God appears before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Um, and then verse 10 says, When the cloud was removed, the cloud that the Lord had manifested himself in, the cloud had been removed from over the tent. Behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron toward, turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish her because we have done so foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away um, when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. So the nation of Israel viewed this as a curse from God, that God had seen something in this person's life and cursed them with leprosy. This is not accurate always, um, because sometimes we go through things in life that God just says we deal with. Um, But in this instance, and how they would have viewed it, Miriam was cursed from God. Now, this brought separation from not only the community, but also separation from the temple. Lepers could not go into the temple to worship, to make sacrifices for their sins. And if we look back in the text we read earlier in Luke, um, one of these men was a Samaritan. So he was either farther removed from the temple. Um, He couldn't worship there. Or he could only under certain prescriptions. Um, So Christ is walking into this village, and these ten men cry out. Now, if we remember what we saw earlier about what leprosy does to your voice, it it destroys your vocal cords. So this was not an easy task for them. But it says they cried out, um, and they were proclaiming Jesus' master, acknowledging that he was from God, that he was um, someone who could help them. Um, Now, Christ says, go show yourself to the priest. He sends them on. Um, and had not yet healed them. So this was an act of obedience to even start stepping towards Jerusalem, but they did. Um, Now, earlier on, Christ heals a leper and tells him not to show himself to the priest. And what what I've read from certain scholars is they would say that because Christ was not ready to declare what the healing of leprosy was going to declare to the priest— um, because the people were viewing this as a curse from God, like something God has stricken this person with, and therefore only God could remove. So um, when God sent these ten lepers healed to the temple, he was declaring that he was sent from God to remove this curse from God to heal these people. Um, now the nine men continued on to Jerusalem, um, and the one turns back. So these nine men are going this way towards this temple that they know from the prophets, they know from the things that they've read and what they've been taught, that these sacrifices that they're going to make at the temple and these things that they're going to do there cannot heal them. Only God can heal them. I mean, all through Scripture it declares that. God does not need our sacrifices. God does not need the things we do because we are all equally as wicked. Now, the tenth man was walking along, and he stops, and he sees he's healed. And something clicks in his mind that 
that God had healed him. And only God could heal him. But Christ sent him away. So returning, proclaiming in a loud voice because his vocal cords had now been healed and he could do that. So he was using what he had been given, what he had been healed with, to come back. And he falls on his face at Christ's feet and praises God for what he had done. He was acknowledging that Christ had made him whole and what this meant that not only was he physically made whole, but this man could make him spiritually whole and take away the other curse of sin that was on his life. Now, this man was a Samaritan, which is important to understand because the Jewish people did not have any association with the Samaritans. So in this time, these Samaritans were viewed um, as outcasts even before they were a leper. So, symbolically, and in, in, in the fact that, I mean, this can also be considered a parable, this shows that Christ was being rejected by the nation of Israel. And it'll go on in the book of Romans to say that Christ was rejected by his own people so that salvation would be made available to the entire world. Now, Christ tell this, tells this man, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In other translations, this will say, your faith has saved you. Um, The Greek word for that, and Dave has mentioned it a a few times, the Greek word for that is sozo, which carries this this idea of physical salvation from from death or from destruction, but it also carries this connotation of spiritual salvation. He's acknowledged who Christ was, and it had saved him. Now, later on in verse 33, Christ also uses this word again when he says, whoever seeks to preserve his life or save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Now, kind of as I said before, this is a parable just as much as it is an actual story of what Christ has done. Um, You know, it's right in this list of other parables, so, I mean, we can view that as, you know, this earthly story that carries a much greater meaning Um, because leprosy is symbolic of the sin that separates us from God so just as this leprosy separated people from the temple separated them from um, communion with their friends and separated them from their families and from the entire nation sin separates us from God much more um and the fact that these ten men were a mixture of Jews and Samaritans also shows that all men are as equally damned before God for their sin outside of the blood of Christ. Um, there's a, a Charles Spurgeon quote that kind of puts this, um, puts this a little bit into perspective, that six feet of dirt make all men equal. Um, we're all equal in death, and we're all equal at the foot of the cross. So... With that in mind, that leprosy is symbolic of sin, we, we need to look at Scripture and understand that God will not tolerate sin. He can't. It's outside of his nature. He can't and he won't. Um, and sin condemns us before God. The, the things that we do and um, the, the wickedness of our hearts and the, the twisted actions that we keep in the back of our mind that we never want to tell anybody and these twisted thoughts are as equally condemning before God as if we had actually murdered someone. Now, if I murder someone and then I go build a hundred orphanages, am I that guy that 
built 100 orphanages or am I a murderer? Nothing can change that fact. And scripture says that God hates sin. And he says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. And even your righteousness, the righteous acts that you do, however moral, vertically, or horizontally, still wicked before God because we don't do it out of faith. We don't do it to please God because we are still in a sinful nature. And Romans says that those who are in the flesh, those who still have this sinful nature, cannot please God, and they will not. So outside of Christ, Scripture teaches that as as sinners... God has to punish us equal to the sins that we've committed. Now that we've committed sins against an eternal, perfect, and holy God, those deserve an eternal, perfect, and holy punishment. And, I mean, I hate to sound like fire and brimstone, but it's the, the reality of the situation is that's hell. That's what we get for, for our lives of of self-righteousness and these things that we do ourselves to try to make ourselves right with God because we think, like, we're doing the right thing, right? Like, I'm, you know, loving people and not making anybody feel bad or I'm, uh, you know, tithing on everything I own or I wear this really nice suit and I sing in the choir, right? It's not how it works. Scripture shows us that only through Christ do we have this reconciliation with God. It's what Christ did on the cross and not something we do. And this requires a response from us. We need to respond in repentance and faith because Scripture says that if you um, declare that Christ is God and believe in your heart and truly repent of your sin, and repentance just means to agree with God in regards to our place before him and trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, only then are you saved. And then, out of appreciation for what Christ has done, and not because we, we grew up thinking we had to follow this set of rules, are we made right with God? We, we follow them out of appreciation. We don't bare-knuckle force ourselves into obedience to make ourselves right with God. Christ makes us right with God, and then we serve him out of gratitude. So, when we see these commands of Christ and what Scripture says, and that Christ had died in our place on the cross and had the wrath of God poured out on him for our sins, when we see that, how do we go on just saying that Christ is just a good moral teacher, you know. Christianity's just this guideline, man, on like how to live your life, you know, and to just, you know, sound like a hippie and, I don't know, now I'm stumbling over words, whatever. Um, so we, we can't belittle the truths that Scripture teaches and like take some parts of the Bible and not other parts. So the question then becomes are we are we one of the nine who return back to our our cold dead morality or these cold dead temple rules that we know can't save us because scripture says they will not save us or are we one of the or we the one who who turns around and sees that Christ alone saves us from sin that only by Christ do we have this reconciliation before God 
Who are we? Ask yourselves that question. How do you respond to your own faith? What does your own faith look like? Are you following this set of rules because you, you think it makes you a good moral person? Or are you acknowledging who you are before God, trusting in Christ, and then, and only then, responding out of gratitude and loving other people? As I said before, Christ, on the cross, took this penalty for our sins. And he suffered hell in our place for the sins that we've committed. It's our life for his. Our righteousness for his. Because we have none and Christ had all of it. Because he perfectly obeyed all of the laws that God had commanded. And he's giving that to us. Only for acknowledging his his lordship and acknowledging that only through trusting in Christ for the salvation of sins are we actually saved. We respond in faith and obedience to Christ. We love him for what he has done. Now the question to ask yourselves now is, are you truly trusting in that fact? Are you truly trusting in the fact that Christ died for your sins and took hell in your place, and then only then can you trust that you are made right before God? Or are you still hoping in your own acts, in your own morality? People think, you know, I'm a Christian because I was, I was baptized when I was a kid, you know, like, it was awesome. Uh, the guy dumped me underwater and I came back up and then everybody clapped and we had potato salad. Or um, are you trusting in the fact that, like, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't do anything bad. I don't do wrong things. Like, I'm not a murderer. I don't cheat on my taxes or my wife. But what does that look like? Like, if I were to put every one of your thoughts, like, in a visual image on that screen for everybody to see. How far would you run before the reality of who we are deep down inside comes out? We can only trust that we're made right before God with Christ. And it's only through Christ that we have the forgiveness of sins. Because Christ healed the ten lepers, he's also healing us of our sin. So I beg you to ask yourselves this question. What do you trust in? What's making you right before God? What's making you whole? Is it following rules? Is it trusting in yourself? Is it this warped version of American churchianity? Or is it Christ? Is it trusting in his sacrifice? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this group of people that you've brought here today. I thank you for the opportunity to stand here and preach, God. Um, if anything I said is, is outside of, of what you wanted taught, God, let it fall on deaf ears. But please, God, I ask you to touch the hearts of those here to to plead with them, to, to draw them to your son, to have them trust in you. Um, I thank you, God, for everything. In Christ's name, amen.